Have you ever run through an airport? Have you ever seen people run through an airport? Airport running is a unique kind of running, no? I was in the Austin airport in November 2019. I'd gotten through security. I picked up a coffee. I was walking to the far end of the terminal where my gate was. Plenty of time to spare. Suspiciously, almost no one there yet. Eventually, I pull out my ticket again. For the very first time, I noticed that, that the gate number I'm looking for is the same gate number that I'm, that I'm at, but my ticket has a letter in front of the gate number. And I discover for the first time in my life that apparently Austin Airport has a south terminal. <laughs> my flight is out of the south terminal. A whole 15-minute drive from where I am at the very end of the terminal. Now, like most airports, I, when you're at the airport, I was not dressed to run. In fact, I'm dressed to get off the plane for a casual to, to nice lunch with, with family. Dress shoes, button-up shirt, coffee in one hand, carry-on bag roller in this other hand, a bag over my shoulder with a, a computer and, and book. And what I haven't told you is that this is my flight to Cincinnati, Ohio for my mother's funeral. I'm meeting Michelle and Leah who are flying there from Richmond, Virginia at that time. So you better believe I do the airport run. Right? Dead sprint in, 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 the, in the dress clothes and, and the flailing suitcase and the coffee and eventually first garbage can I see the coffee's got to go. And then I'm just going, sweat going off the brow, sweat starting to show through the back of the shirt. But I'm gone. I do make the flight. But have you ever had to do the airport run? There are times in our lives, right, where our hands, yes, they may be full. Our attire, it's all wrong. We may be ridiculous to everyone else who's watching us. But there are times in our lives where we will get our bodies in motion as fast as they can go because it's just that urgent. It's just that important. There is a lot of running in our passage you heard Kelly read from Genesis 18. It's because the passage is underscoring something that is of central importance to people of faith. It doesn't start with running, however. A little context. At the beginning of Genesis 17, the chapter before 18, right? we read that Abraham, at 99 years old, was circumcised. So we're not surprised that Abraham is sitting or reclining at the entrance of the tent beside the oaks at Mamre. At the beginning of Genesis 18, he is recovering. We're also told that this story unfolds in the heat of the day, a heavy, lethargic part of the day, not unlike some of the afternoons we've had here recently. And then on top of this recovery in this heat, we know that Abraham's just been told by God that he's going to be the father of all these nations and, and, and offspring in abundance. And that seems an unfathomable promise, given that he and Sarah are 99 years old and do not have children. And so one has to imagine, as Abraham is recovering in the heat of the day and also pondering some rather weighty matters and how this is all going to work, this is not an ideal time for guests. And yet I remember doing a virtual coffee with a number of you this past spring, and in that 
particular coffee's theme was hospitality. I invited you to, to share with the group what, what comes to mind when you hear the word hospitality. What does it feel like? What's it look like? And I kept some notes of what all, what all you said. And, and, and two of you uh, who grew up a few decades ago in Iowa talked about how if your family ever saw another person or family on the side of the road, maybe the, the car broke down or the like, inevitably, your family was going to have that person or those people in for a meal. It didn't matter whether the house was ready. didn't matter what the, what the food was or wasn't. It, that, wasn't, that just really wasn't an issue. It was all about this welcoming attitude that, that wasn't simply come as you are, but also come as we are. Come whether or not we planned it, whether or not the home is put together, whether or not we are put together. On this less than ideal day and time, For doing much of anything, Abraham sees these three men standing there. And though he has no idea who they are, what they're about, he runs from the tent to meet them. Scholars note there is likely a touch of knowing humor here as the reader considers a 99-year-old just circumcised Abraham running. Then when he does get to these men, he, he, he does something equally remarkable. He bowed down to the ground before them. Strangers, though they are, they are given immediate deference. And then then you heard he offers a a little water to be brought to you, a a little bread to help you rest. It's it's a kind and humble offering, and the men agree. But did you hear what actually happens? Abraham then hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. Knead it. Make cakes. Then Abraham himself ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Hastened, quickly, ran, hastened, not just to grab a little bit of water and bread, but in fact to bring forth curds and milk and a calf. I mean, this is a choice meal of the finest he and his family have. For strangers... There are a few important things in our lives that we will run for, no matter how ill-timed or or, or, or ill-attired we may be. But running, hastening, quickening for unexpected guests? And yet, I am mindful of a couple key instances in the Gospel of Luke. When, When Jesus, he first comes onto the scene and declares what he's about, sort of what his priority is, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim release to the captives. We talked about that last week. He goes on to say, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what I'm about. Scholars will point out that, that proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the context of Luke and how he, he uses specific Greek words throughout that, that gospel. It can be equally translated and understood as to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. Central to Jesus' mission is hospitality. And then Jesus makes that all the more abundantly clear in what is perhaps his most memorable parable right there at the center of the gospel. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? Remember that younger son, he asked for his father's inheritance before the father's dead, which is like asking for your father just to be dead so you can have the money. 
Yeah. He gets the money. The father does it. And the younger son, right, goes off into a faraway land and squanders the money on dissolute living. Eventually, you may recall, a famine hits and the son is starving and barely getting by. And so he decides to try and return home. Maybe his father will have him back as a servant. Now pause for a moment to consider in this parable. From the father's perspective, who is that son? In one sense, you, you, you would hardly say the younger son is a stranger. But in another sense, how many of us know what it is like to raise a child or a grandchild or a great-grandchild? And when they grow up and they become their own person, sometimes it feels like you're no longer sure who they are. Some of their choices, their convictions, their... This younger son, his greed, his selfishness, his dissolute lifestyle, surely at some level he has become a stranger to the father. And yet, do you remember what happens while this younger son is still a long way off from home? While he's still far off, the father sees the estranged son. And though it would have been considered not right, and in fact quite indecent at that time for the family patriarch to run, servants run, The father is filled with compassion and runs towards that son. And what happens after he embraces the son and gives him a ring and his robe and new sandals? The father throws a banquet with the fatted calf, hospitality in abundance. God runs toward the stranger. God runs toward the estranged. And God runs in that direction that God might provide a generous hospitality, the kind of open table that makes clear you are welcome. You are family. Have you known the gift of God running toward you? Have you known someone or someone whose life has hastened toward you and for you in such a way that, that they gave expression to this kind of grace? When Abraham runs towards these strangers and for these strangers, he is giving expression to the very heart of God. Eventually, this heart will be codified in, in the Torah. Right, Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When an alien or a sojourner or a stranger resides in your land, you shall not oppress the stranger. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the stranger as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Which is to say, regardless of citizenship, or red or or blue or longtime member, non-member, the one who is the stranger. Treat them as you would. Citizen, a member, yourself. Throw a banquet for the one who threw away his inheritance. This is what makes our God run, even if it breaks with all that is considered right and decent by many. What makes us run? Even if the timing is wrong, even if the attire is wrong, even if the hands are full, what what will put us in motion? Some of us are probably here and we're saying, we're tired. (laughs) I mean, we're always running. 
errands and to-do lists and anxieties and demands this way and that. We run a lot, literally and internally. I don't imagine any of us gathered here today looking to run still more and still harder. I don't think that's the call either. I'm mindful of the insight that the Benedictine monk Brother David Stendhal Rost offers. The antidote to exhaustion is not rest, but wholeheartedness. Stendhal Rost is not against rest. We all need rest. But he wonders if our, if our deepest longings, if our deepest longing is not a, a longer vacation or, or a few more hours of sleep, but our deepest longing is wholeheartedness, giving our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls to something that matters truly and deeply, something that goes to the core of who God is and who it, what it means to be made in that God's image. What if some of all of our running were channeled into hospitality, unto strangers. What would such wholeheartedness look like as a church? You've already heard some of how that looks for us in these testimonies. What does that look like for us as individuals? Would it be just one more exhausting thing to be about, or might it? Might it be the space in which we not only discover something of the antidote to exhaustion, but actually we receive in that motion far, far more? Right, because the thing is, the stranger's never just a stranger. Genesis 18, verse 1, tips us, the reader, off about the identity of these three strangers. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. Then many, many years later, the author of Hebrews would write the following thing to the church, alluding to this story in Genesis 18. Do not forget to show hospitality to the strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without them knowing it. It's as if the author were reminding the church to please be sure and honor the stranger, the sojourner, with profound kindness and hospitality because there are so many stories being written in heaven right this moment and they begin this way. The Lord appeared to First Presbyterian Church. Except we, like Abraham, have no idea that's the first verse of what's unfolding right now. And then perhaps most famously, Jesus himself in Matthew 25. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. To welcome the stranger is to welcome Jesus himself. It is to draw near to the very God of life who is drawing near to you through them. And once the stranger is at our table with Abraham and Sarah, the promise of God is made known. I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Certainly not every instance of hospitality with stranger or the estranged will, will have such a dramatic promise made known. But, but at the same time, there is always something fundamentally generative about the space of hospitality. How could there not be? Jesus is the stranger. And how surprising and varied are the faces through whom he comes. Just look at one another. Look at your neighbors. Look at the schools. Look at our community. Who do you see? 
And maybe today that we find ourselves with our hands full. A lot of baggage, even, in tow. And for about a dozen very good reasons, it is the wrong time to be running. Or running towards anything else but what we've, we've got going. But what if, what if we risked joining Abraham and asked God to help us see who is at the door? What if we risked seeing as the Father has seen us, even while we were still far off? What would it look like for God's body on earth to run and so declare the year of the Lord's welcome? I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Amen.